0: Hello, Team Builder. Thank you so much for joining us today on Ask Michelle and Chris. We're here to answer your questions about team building so we can learn and grow together. I'm your host, Chris Cabert, of Fun Doing and On Team Building. I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Cummings of Training Wheels. Let's go find out what we can answer for you today. Hi, Michelle. Big welcome from Ohio, central rolling hills of Ohio. Well, hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah. I think since the last episode, kind of the same where, you know, I'm I'm able to finally breathe, you know, how your shoulders, when you realize your shoulders are kind of sneaking up towards your ears. Yes, And you finally breathe and then they relax. So I'm finally getting there. It was my new position here in Ohio is very interesting and very challenging. Um, and it's getting, you know, it's getting exciting where I can at least, I think I can, I can, I'm seeing I can make a um, some effort to contribute to this organization. So it's exciting. That's exciting. That's
1: good. Yeah. 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 How about you? How about good. you? Yeah, just yeah, returning yeah. from Japan. And so oh, that was an yeah. amazing trip. And uh, just, I love splashing experiential learning all over this globe. So that yeah, that's is... Cool. Yeah. So that that seeing the work done in such different environments and different parts of the world is always so rewarding. I just eye opening. So my
0: yes. opening. Yes. Yes. And and we come home and we go, man, we really got it good here.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. You know.
0: There are people really trying to make a difference in the world and they have a lot more hurdles than I do. Yep. To they make create. to make a to make a dent or make a change or yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, and it's good to be a part of helping them to see things that might help. I agree. You know, that giving them tools, I'm sure you just left them with tons and tons of tools as you always do.
1: Absolutely. And that's what they
0: look for. They're, they don't get stuff that we do in the States. Yep. It's very hard for them to get a hold of things that are tools that are, are really cool. So what we do, maybe you and I having to share things and hopefully worldwide, some worldwide listeners. Yeah, that we can give them some resources that they can make on their own and use for for their good. Yeah, so and we that, have some
1: of those again, today, like,
0: even and what we we're going do to talk about today. Yes, yeah, we do. What, what we're going, we're technique. We're into seven and eight now. We right? are indeed. Yes, yes. So this has been fun. So uh, you give it that start because you you're really good at spitting out that title because it's really hard for me to. It's like a tongue twister for me. Okay,
1: no worries. So we are going to continue our series on effective debriefing tools and techniques. So technique number seven, artistic methods, and technique number eight of self-reflection. Those are the two we're going to tackle today. So we'll kind of briefly talk through what the technique is itself and then present several tools that kind of then teach that technique or that you can use that's under the banner of that particular technique. So we're going to start out with artistic methods. And this one here, I I love using this one with groups because it just allows them so much freedom to really, um, I don't know, artistic expression just really opens up the heart and the mind to just new learning. And it, it gives a lot of control of, of their feelings, of their emotions, of their experiences, and transforming that into some really new and creative energies. Like, so they can, you know, artistic methods in my mind, they can portray like symbolic expressions of a feeling, or I don't know, it just allows them a lot of creative freedom to really um, expand on what they experience based on the parameters that you give them. Now, artistic methods also, like for me, I know a lot of times when you think of art, you're going to immediately think of like drawing and pen and paper and, you know, things like that. And for me, I have other gifts. That is not necessarily a strong gift of mine. Is penning markers to paper. Like I, I mean, I do okay, but it's not like my preferred go to. But the artistic methods is not just that, right? It could be, it could be painting and art, but it could also be musical. It could be theatrical performances, the digital arts, and just like a, a slideshow at the end of an experience, drawings. Videography, molding clay, elements from the natural world. I mean, it could go on and on and on on different ways to allow your participants to artistically express themselves in a reflective way. So we're going to talk about a few tools and a few things that we like to do or that we have done in the past today. But this one here is the one where you really can get creative with the tool or with whatever the activity itself is and let your participants that have a lot of uh creative freedom to own the experience and own that a little bit, so. And I think
0: what's coming to mind when you're talking about show, I don't do this enough and I, I should. I think it's, it's a good way to reach other types of learners in a group and not just always talking, express themselves in other ways. But if you are working with a classroom, how cool is it to have art and symbols that reflect some sort of metaphorical learning? Mm-hmm. And, and instead of, you know, norms, we make this list of things that we're going to do and not do. And now we have art that helps us remind ourselves about what we want to do or what we want to remember. So, I, yeah, I, 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 again, I'm in an environment that I can do more of that now. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to be inspired by what you're going to tell us. today. Yeah,
1: so you know, the, what, simplest, what's something you do? the simplest one, I mean, I remember, you know, when I first got started in facilitating and there weren't a lot of tools, I remember doing one that I just called the group poster, where you would literally just give the group a big piece of poster board paper and some markers or whatever else, and just let them like first talk metaphorically. What was your experience like today? And how would you kind of put it all on a big piece of poster board paper or something like that, big post-it paper, and then present it to the group like that right there? There's a lot of creative you know, expression that can go into that. And some of those I just remember were just so creative and some of them were so funny and, you know, but then it also captured some of the really good pivotal learning moments that they would have in it. So that one right there, just group drawing, that one's super simple. Now, if you're outside, you can transform that to elements in the, nat- in the natural setting rather than giving them pens and markers, letting them get creative with some natural elements.
0: And you would you would do nature would you glue it onto paper or a poster board or?
1: You could, or, yeah. you know, another make thing- make
0: them you, in the ground kind of. Yeah,
1: like nature okay. mandalas is another thing that I did some, um, when during the pandemic, I that was one of the techniques that or one of the activities that I shared in the virtual space was everybody needs to get outside some as long as the CDC says it's okay to be outside in your area, you know, like following rules, but like go outside and create something special right? Or if you are, were a teacher and your kids were just cooped up inside all the time, tell them to go outside, create a nature mandala of some sort with leaves and rocks and sticks and whatever they could find and put it into a creative pattern that had some sort of meaning to it and then take a picture of it and then they could bring it back. They could upload it and whatever. But in a, if you're doing an activity or facilitating a group outside, have them do something similar. I have a Colleague of mine that down in Texas that she did this recently with her uh, with her students at a university level, and she said you can f- whatever you find on the ground, whether it's trash, whether it's you know sticks and rocks and twigs and leaves and all of those things, and she posted the photos of those. They were incredible. They really were, and how people incorporated the trash into the beauty of the natural stuff and things like that. So I mean, nature mandalas. That's another way. Just that's inexpensive or free. And then you could either leave it like that, or if you want to leave no trace, you can, you know, have them disperse those items back to where they found them as well. Okay. So, and then talking about them, I'm assuming that when we're
0: creating something of a reflective piece, you're doing it while you're reflecting on your experience. So, you know, the imagining of trash and nature of just a guess would be, you know, we started out a little rough and we weren't really, you know, we weren't working together and we were discarding a lot of things and we weren't listening, but then we kind of, then nature could, plays in and it becomes, we grew together. And yes. yeah, that's, that's cool. So it's Absolutely. like a little, almost a nature story yep. of things that you find, but you're thinking about it while you're creating this. And then you get to share that. That's really cool. Which yeah,
1: actually no- plays into our next technique as well. Now we have a few other tools I want to share here, but the, our next technique is self reflection. And so that whole process of just going through and making your selection of the things and really thoughtfully putting them into your design, you're doing some good self-reflection at the same time. What did I learn? What do I want to share about this experience with others? And such good things are happening in the brain when you allow time and space for that to happen. So- um, so, so, And
0: I want to share a mandala that that I do. I don't call it mandalas, but as you were explaining- some of the art things that you do, uh, I often carry around those long strings that we use for human handcuffs or buddy ropes. So they're usually the ones I like the most are about five feet long. And as a, a technique of either front loading or reflection is they take that five foot piece and they make some sort of a string symbol and we sit in a circle right in front of them. They're making some sort of a design or shape. You see a lot of hearts. You see a lot of uh, question marks. So they can make things. You see a lot of uh, spirals. And then as they're designing these things, sometimes they start off one thing and you watch them and then they take different shapes. Uh, and it's fun to then ask them what they were thinking about as they were changing things. So there's a nice, easy prop that you might already have around. If you do that handcuffs puzzle, yep, uh, then you can use that as a processing tool. So that's yes. a, I, I, th- I would consider that artistic. Oh, absolutely. It's using a medium of some sort, but it's not, it's not really elaborate, but it's something simple that becomes an artistic thing you could take a picture of. And then couldn't you send that to the class that you worked at, you know, collage of pictures of all their string symbols, or they, you know, most of the groups that I am encountering lately, they all have phones anyway, Right. you know, take a picture or the teacher could take a picture of everybody's symbol. And uh, that can be something you could even create a deck of cards out of where you print them out and you laminate them. And remember these things that we did, this represented this. So yeah, I, I would consider that something at least
1: well, absolutely. I mean, and you just artistic. mentioned like the slideshow afterwards, that becomes another artistic expression, right? That's another, it's the digital format of it. So, yeah. so yeah. really what, you know, I think for this particular technique, just consider your audience, what are things that would resonate with them? You know, what style for some people, the technology piece really freaks them out for other people. It's their comfort zone. Like that's something that they would, they would embrace being able to utilize that in a reflection way. Right. So, so again, any—I t- mean—you can get so creative just once you start thinking artistically about reflection, and then just giving a lot of that ownership over to the group. That's one thing I love because they're going to remember it so much better if they actually are the ones creating the actual thing, whatever that is. And you, it's gonna—it's gonna resonate with them because yeah, they're the ones attaching re- meaning
0: to it. And you have a visual attachment that lasts for a while. Yes. Now you, before we move on to the next piece, you got to tell them about my favorite one. Oh, it's your Artistic. favorite,
1: the community puzzle. Yes. yes,
0: Oh, the pictures that I've seen of those are so amazing, but I know. Yeah, explain that a little bit.
1: I love the community puzzle so much. So I first found the community puzzle very early in training wheels days. And uh, the community puzzle is a blank universal puzzle. Now, what that means is, is that all the centerpieces, they're four inches by four inches, and they're all the same piece. So therefore, when you go to put them together, I mean, one puzzle comes with 24 centerpieces and 24 border pieces. But if you had more than 24 people in your group, you could just remove the border pieces and keep adding more puzzles to it because all the centerpieces are the exact same. So what I love about it is that then the metaphor that gets used with that is, How are you an essential piece of this team? Or what piece of learning do you want to take away from this particular day or this training or this learning? And so, what I and so then you give you provide markers, you provide writing utensils, all of that. And then you give everybody this puzzle piece and then they kind of take it and run with it. Right. And that and everybody creates their own very unique puzzle piece. And then when you put them all together, then you actually then it almost looks like a community quilt quilt because everyone's got their own colors and you know there's different designs some of them are really elaborate some of them are stick figures and just words and and things like that so one thing that i love about the community puzzle in particular is that it is so many of the techniques that we've described over the last four episodes in one tool because normally when i have anyone um Put anything on a puzzle piece. Anything artistic, I first usually have them pair and share with somebody. Why did you put what you did on your puzzle piece? So that technique is then taken care of. And then it's a metaphoric method. I front load to share with them. Here's what I want you to do. So I'm I'm front loading the experience. And then it's artistic expression. There's self reflection and you know involved in it because they're putting it down on their puzzle piece, and you know and. And it's an anchor. It's an anchor tool because then you can let them take that piece home with them at the end. So I love it so much for so many reasons, but that one in particular is that if any one of those techniques resonates with any of your participants, this tool covers at least seven of the actual um, 10 techniques. So so I love it. And then that puzzle, puzzle metaphor, you can just kind of take it and run with it. And I mean, there's really a lot. Those are the two that I use the most for team building work is What's an essential piece of learning that you, that you want to take away from this, or how are you an essential piece of this team? Those are the two main puzzle metaphors that I kind of use. Nice, nice.
0: Yeah. And just the things that I've seen, people put them on their walls and then they Mm -hmm. frame them. People take their own individual piece just to remember they're a piece of the team. It's just really cool. It's really super cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and how about self-reflection? Yeah, I, let's dive into this that This is kind one. of, I, I, I had a little bit of a conversation with Michelle right before we started recording about, uh, you know, what is the difference? Because we've been talking about reflection uh, throughout all of these techniques. So I want to know a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to learn about this self-reflection and how, okay. Michelle, how you see it.
1: Yeah, self-reflection for me is, Giving people time and space to really reflect because not everybody processes information the same way. You know, some people like to think out loud, kind of like myself. I like if I have a thought, it'll come right out my mouth, right? Whereas other people are more process thinkers. They need time to really stop and think and have that time and space reserved for that, for them to really take stock of what they've learned and then be able to express it in some way, shape, or form. And so I'm very conscious of that when I'm sequencing at a group. I wanna make sure that I have provided enough time and space for people to have good self-reflection time. And it's not just always group work, but there's also some good self-work happening at the same time.
0: And I I think for me, it was almost, it's like solo. Like you could, some people will go on wilderness trips and they'll provide solo time. Mm -hmm. And they may give them, I remember working at a school where the students got a journal when they were in first grade, I think, because all of the grades took a trip mm. and the outdoor ed teacher gave them a journal. And when they would go out on their trip, uh, the younger ones, I think, had the had the question written in there for them um, to think about. Uh, it must've been very, you know, maybe it was just the younger ones drew a picture, but it was cool because over through, first grade through eighth grade it was the same journal the outdoor ed teacher would collect them every time but every year it was some different entry and that was solo time they would go on the trail he would plop each person down far enough apart so they're not talking to each other and that involved I would assume a lot of self-reflection about whatever he was asking them to do so that's kind of something along the lines right Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's not so like, like
0: we have a lot of time to do solos in some of our programs. Right, exactly. that's providing more time than just asking a question and then just start firing out answers. We're in self-reflection. It's different because we're going to take, we're going to give them, we're going to take three minutes or something like that. And you're just going to ponder something, whatever it is, a body, you know, so you're going to talk a little bit more. But I, I think it's to distinguish it between the ones we've been talking about. There is a purposeful space for quiet reflection. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So what, what ideas do you have?
1: Okay, well, so when I was looking up and I was kind of writing up this technique for the handout that, um, that we'll link to in the show notes, um, I looked up the Webster's Dictionary Definition of Self-Reflection, and it came back as careful thought about your own behavior and beliefs. Isn't that just the greatest definition? Like self-reflection, it's careful thought about your own behaviors and beliefs. We're not a very reflective society anymore, no matter where you live in the world. I actually have both of my grandfather's journals and so, you know, so that right there, like it used to be a common practice that people would journal, and it's just not anymore. And if you think about it, if people aren't journaling it and they're not spending time in self-reflection, we don't take time to take careful thought about our own behavior and beliefs unless we set aside time to do it. So there's three main benefits of self-reflection. Um, one is that it really does help strengthen emotional intelligence. So when you take time to self-reflect, you look inwards and that helps build both self-awareness and self-regulation. And those are two things that, you know, some people are gifted at and other people aren't. They have other gifts, right? So, I mean, in self-awareness, it really gives you the ability to understand what your emotions, your strengths, your weaknesses, what drives you, your values, your goals, um, and then you also recognize their impact on others. So, and then self-regulation, the other part of that, it is the, it, it involves the ability to control or redirect what your disruptive emotions or impulses or, or even ways to adapt to different changing circumstances. So both of those and building those skills will both improve per, people's personal lives, professional lives. Um and even you, the listener, as your role as a facilitator as well, if we take time to reflect on what we do well and what we could do better. Um, that's second- why. And that's why we reflect. That's
0: Absolutely. experiential education, venture education. We all, if we don't reflect, we, there's no learning. Right. We just kind of keep moving on from thin to thin. Exactly. So that, that's what our field is, is part of a grounding
1: foundation of what we do is spend time reflecting. Yeah. The, th- the second one is acting with integrity. So and this one here comes around to like if we're if we're given time and space to reflect and we reflect on what our core values are and how they drive our behaviors and our thoughts and our beliefs and all of that, then doing that consistently, it, it's going to help solidify what those are and help you make, I don't know, even like making decisions in your life easier and things like that if you if you create that time and space for you to actually do it. And then the third one is being more confident. One thing I love about journaling, I used to be really great at journaling and did it all the time. In the most recent past, I have not journaled as much as what I used to. But what I love about it is that building self-confidence. If you are a regular journaler, you can look back at what your past writings were and where you were at. And you can actually see calculated growth in yourself. And that builds confidence when you can see where you used to be and where you're at now. So I love that idea that you gave earlier uh, or shared that story earlier of where people were given journals in the first grade and then you kept that same journal all the way through. Like that's crazy good growth experience, witnessing your own growth right in front of your eyes. I love
0: that. And that was when they did their eighth grade exit interviews, they recorded them all for the, for them. That school gave them those recordings oh. and they just interviewed them about their whole school experience from however long they've been there. And almost everyone I've ever seen, I probably seen when I was there, I probably watched, you know, over 50, almost everybody talked about their outdoor ed experience in that journal. It was amazing uh. because it was just uh, it was them. It was their history, it wasn't right. somebody else's, right? So it's, it's those kind of things that if we work with people over a long period of time, we get to do those cool things. If you're in a classroom with them all year, you can do more processing and more reflection to be able to get them to see their growth and their learning uh, and, and not just always absorb other stuff. Yeah, so I think that's cool. I think that's okay. a good way to do it. What kind of, what kind of things do you do yeah, I have a couple
1: tools. Um, a couple of tools or activities that I do. One is the pocket processor tool, and, but the activity is the human continuum. I know that I have talked about this one multiple times on this podcast episode, um, or on this podcast. So um, it's basically where you put a line down the center of the room, and you um, and you read off the two opposite behaviors. One is I'm someone that is more lighthearted on one side, or I'm more serious on the other. And then you vote with your feet and place yourself somewhere on that continuum. From zero would be right on the center of the line and then from one, two, three out to the walls or the boundaries on the outside. And so you would give yourself, you know, vote with your feet basically and place yourself somewhere on that continuum of where you're at on that. And what I like about that, it's like many self-reflections that are happening in the process at the same time you're doing some group data collection at the same time. You're like, oh wow, Like, yes, you're totally a a more lighthearted person. I can see where you, you know, where you identify more with being a little bit more serious. So you're allowing opportunities for self reflection in the middle of a group process, which is kind of an interesting um, concept as well and an interesting way to do it. So that one we'll link to the show notes to a previous episode that we've talked about that one a lot. The activity that I want to share next with you is one that is definitely, it's a quiet self-reflection activity that also bleeds into um, one of the next techniques we'll talk about in the next episode of action and reflection, but it is the labyrinth, walking a labyrinth. And this one here is, I will totally admit that when I first walked Labyrinth, I was not a believer (laughs) in labyrinths and the process and whatnot. I was like, Really? I'm just gonna walk quietly through this little maze looking thing, and at the end of that, I'm gonna come out having some sort of epiphany or whatever it is. I don't know, like, I just wasn't a believer. And so, because I had never experienced it, it's a true experiential moment for me when I was like, Kind of going in, I'm like, Okay, that kind of feels like voodoo something or other. I don't know, you walk around and then you come out with an epiphany, okay, whatever. But then I actually did it like I allowed myself to open up to the process. My first experience with the labyrinth was at the teams conference, which used to be held in Chicago. And there was a master labyrinth builder there that came and would put one in the gymnasium at the school. So I thought, okay, I've, I need to go and experience one and go to one of his workshops. So he went, so I went to his workshop and then I got to learn about labyrinths. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, there's some really cool stuff here. So, you know, traditional labyrinths, they typically always, um, when you enter a labyrinth, it actually faces east. And so from the Native American culture, I mean, the other thing about labyrinths is that they are used in multiple cultures, not just one. So it's definitely something from a historical perspective that that the the labyrinths have been around for centuries. So in the Native American uh, culture, what he shared with us is that a lot of labyrinths are... When you step into them you're facing east and that represents sunrise and the beginning of an experience or beginning of something and then as you walk through the labyrinth there's no tricks or you don't get caught so the difference between a labyrinth and a maze is a maze that there's dead ends and and you can get trapped somewhere and and things like that where you'd have to kind of find your way through whereas in a labyrinth there's no tricks there's one path that will lead you to the center And then that same path, when you reverse, will lead you right back out. So that's the difference between a labyrinth and a maze. And so he just recommended, think about something in your life, whether it be this conference, your your, your experience at the beginning, in the middle, and now as we are leaving and going towards the end. And then while you're walking, just walk through almost like an instant replay of your experience. And so but for me at the time, um, it was in my gram, I was very close with my grandmother. And it was we knew that it was probably her final few weeks on this earth. And so for me, I thought, okay, I'll test this out. And I'll kind of think about, you know, when I enter sunrise, um, I will think about what was her early life like, right? And so that was kind of where my mind, and then because there's no tricks, because there's no, you know, there's nowhere for your mind to get caught, your mind is just able to just flow freely. So I thought about what was life like for her as a child. And then she met my grandpa and then had my dad and, and her siblings. And then, you know, eventually I wandered. And when I got to the middle, I was like, well, what, what did, what was the middle of her life? Like when she started having grandkids that her grandkids were her like pride and joy and they gave her so much richness in her life. And then, and then as I started to walk back out, I then started to reflect on just, these last few years and her health. And, you know, she was 89 when she was about to pass. And, you know, it just like, and then by the end, I like, as I stood there at the very end facing west, sun is going down on her life, like all of those things, I was sobbing. And I was like, okay, I'm totally a believer of this whole labyrinth thing now. And it was a really large labyrinth. So like, I had a lot of really good, probably a good 15 to 20 minute walk of that that path. And that just let my wine really wander. And by the end of that, I felt so at peace with saying goodbye to her and just that she lived the most amazing life. And I feel like that was such a gift to me. And then I became the biggest labyrinth believer ever because I was like that process, that action and reflection, all of that was amazing. And I would highly recommend it to anybody that has that, you know, that, that has an opportunity to. Think about something again, like whether it be a program, start, middle, end, whether it be, you know, someone's life, whether it be a relationship, anything, and really try to then use this type of activity as a great self-reflection. Yeah.
0: And and it's just about that time and space to allow people to think quietly. So, Mm -hmm. Separating this from the other techniques. I I like the idea. I didn't really think about that is, can we, let's take a minute you know how much of us um, how many of us just run right into the question and we want the answers okay but we're going to look at my watch and we're going to take 2 minutes and i just want you to think about this question think about it seriously just ponder it you know I, I like that idea i think I'd, i well, i want to try that more mm-hmm. and give people that peace cuz we're we're always just so active so yep. th- there, then we might get other responses if we give people time to think yes for the, what they really want to say and refine it. Now we might get those responses we're looking for. Absolutely. Because people need, like me, I need a little more time. I usually by tomorrow, I got a better answer Oh yeah. when I come up with a question that I sleep on and I go, man, I wish I would have said this, yeah. you know? Yep. So I like that. I, I, I like, thank you for that. That's my learning right now is just add that, try that, try that. That'd be something new for me. So that's cool. Yeah. Well,
1: well, we carry a big labyrinth tarp at training wheels, but these there's ways that you can to absolutely make these on your own. Google is your friend. Um, you'll be able to see if you wanted to make your own. Maybe you have yeah. a facility where you want to put one out in nature and just leave it out there for people to walk. Yeah. Um, that's great too. Ours is portable. It's a giant. It's a big 16 foot tarp that you can get out and put anywhere. Yeah, so chalk, chalk on a
0: playground. There's easy ways to make a labyrinth. I think they're called clover labyrinths. Yes, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, where you can, it it just shows you step by step an easy, real simple way to make a nice small clover labyrinth. You bring your group out, yeah. So there's there's ways to do that, uh, very simply, yeah. Cool. Yep,
1: absolutely. So Google is your friend if you want to find some good images, and then or even just diagrams on how to draw your own labyrinths as well. That's something else that he did in that workshop that I attended. He taught us how to make our own labyrinths. So that was a really cool process as well. If you have other self-reflection activities that you like to use, please share them with us because we really want to share more ideas like this out with the greater facilitator community.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you have additional answers or comments about this question, please send them our way. And if you have a question you'd like us to tackle, we would love to hear it. You can find the submission link and anything we discussed in today's episode in the show notes. Find the show notes and past episodes at onteambuilding.com forward slash ask podcast. That's onteambuilding.com forward slash ask podcast.
1: You can find me and sign up for my newsletter at training-wheels.com.
0: You can sign up for my Fun Doing Fridays activity email and find me at
1: onteambuilding.com. We hope you join us next week for Ask Michelle and Chris About Team Building.